You're listening to The Quest for the Best is from Backlog Banter. We're on a side quest right now, trying to figure out which of the 10 2022 Best Picture nominees should take home the big award. Your hosts are Timo Nelson, Tucker Hazel, Tanner Dykstra, and Abram Buner. The Quest for the Bestest begins in just a moment. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Quest for the Bestest. We're on our side quest right now because it is nearing close to being Oscars ceremony time. So that means we're taking a look at all of the Best Picture nominees for this calendar year, 2022. And today, we are looking at the newest film from Paul Thomas Anderson, Licorice Pizza, came out, ah, uh, what, you know, um, at end of last year, kind of late December, yeah. sometime. December. It made a little bit of a splash in the film bro circle, I will say, having been around that. Um, having been a film bro having, at the time. <laughs> okay, yes, uh, during, the, during the time in the release window of this film, I maybe was a film bro. But I didn't go see it then. Now I got to see it for this film. And I want to hear what you guys thought about it also, because that's kind of the name of the game on this show, right? We share each other's opinions about the films that we watch, and we try to figure out where it goes on the list. We'll be taking a look at the list later, I think, to figure out where the licorice pizza ends up. But where did our film from last week end up? It's a simple answer at place number one. Drive My Car with an average score of 9.6. Very, very high. Not one score below 9.0 from all four of us puts it well at the top of this list. And should it win pretty far up on the list of the rest of Best Pictures also. But if you catch the episode, we have some discussion about that as well. So I highly recommend heading back one episode in the past and checking out Drive My Car. Good movie. Better episode, I will say. Maybe? <laughs> wow. 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 That that would be one of our best episodes we've ever done, which I don't know if I quite, you know, would put it on that level, but it was definitely very good. Great yeah, I think, yeah. after, I think after we wrap up this series, what we should do is instead of watching movies, go back and watch our reviews and then rate them and then make a ranking of the Quest for the yeah. Bestest videos. I see. Could not have said it better myself. Mm-hmm. What did you guys think of Licorice Pizza? Who wants to begin? Uh, open up the floor to anyone. Um, uh, I'll go for it. Oh, Tucker, uh, go uh, ahead. You go well, ahead, Tucker. I just want to start off because I don't I don't really have too much to say about Licorice Pizza. I think it's a totally uh, competent film. There's nothing particularly wrong with it, at least in my eyes. But uh, it doesn't really have too much to say for itself, in my opinion. I think it, it has a, a couple fun characters, some fun character moments. But um, that's really all it's got its uh, laurels resting on. And, and I'm interested to hear... How we can sort of spin this into a more questian conversation with with themes and, and cinematics and, and character moments and stuff that I didn't really pick up too much on uh, in Licorice Pizza. So I'm kind of surprised this got the huge amount of buzz it did, uh, other than the fact that it's from a very well-established director whose other films I do think supersede this in terms of not only Oscar Oscar baitiness but like scope and, and scale and stuff like that. This is a pretty simple film and it's fun, it's light, but I don't know if it's much more than that. Hmm. Okay. Fair point. Fair point. Um, I'll go next because Tucker, I think the, I think you have a point there. You know, the, Paul Thomas Anderson is really known for making these uh, epics, essentially, not necessarily like historical epics, but more recent historical epics. You know, maybe sure. maybe like a, a Boogie Nights or a uh, yeah a Magnolia or something of that nature. You know, long movies like that. This one comes in at two hours fifteen, and um, all of Paul Thomas so Anderson. It's not movies, breaking the bank. Exactly. It's not breaking the watch. <laughs> it uh. It, you know, all of his movies sort of uh, tell these these uh, epic stories and sort of uh, encapsulate a time period or something like that, and they focus uh, through characters. And I think that still stays true to what Licorice Pizza is doing here. Um, I haven't seen a lot of PTA films, but it's pro- it's at the bottom of my list for him currently. But I still did quite enjoy this. I think uh, that everyone's really funny in this. I think the film looks great. I think it captures... Uh, the aesthetic of the time very very well. It's just like a, a funky like just a little funky groove of a film in a, in a lot of ways. I think that's what Paul Thomas you know Paul Thomas Anderson um what, he grew up in this era of Hollywood and in the San Fernando Valley. I'm not from California. Never been there. Don't really it know. It sounds right. It sounds right. I'll say with yeah. my Californian card that it is yes. probably right. Um, and it feels very much like like a like a once upon a time in Hollywood, like someone who has a lot of reverence for this time period and uh, the you know the movie industry and stuff like that surrounding it. That is making a time capsule film and uh, capturing all that nostalgia. And I think it's quite enjoyable in that sense. Mm-hmm. Abram, do you want to go next, or do you want to hand it off to me? Your choice. 
you're, you're trying to you're trying to take too much power here. I was trying to cut in for that third position now in the recent episodes. You know, I can't have it. I'm taking it for hey, myself. Hey man, hey man, I said it's your choice. Here's my here's my opinion. I think this is a dumb movie about nothing, mm. but I also think it's fun to watch. Licorice Pizza is kind of interesting because I first of all I had to watch it in two sittings because I was frank I was getting a little bit bored of it to be honest with you, and mm-hmm. because I had to go do other stuff. I have poor time management, but. I, I I was watching the film when I was finishing it out, and I looked at the at the uh, runtime, and I noticed I only had 15 minutes left, and that was perplexing to me. Not necessarily because the time was flying by, because it was, but mostly because I felt like we hadn't accomplished anywhere, I anything. I didn't know where we were going. It's it's a film that meanders intentionally so, but I also think annoyingly so. Mm, sure, they're they're they really yeah they're really great vignettes here, but I'm not pretentious enough to pretend that there's a lot going on here because i don't really think there is i, I think it's it, it reminds me of when i watched um the one car Wai movie that doesn't really make sense chunking express yeah it's it, it's about characters it's it's kind of non-linear we're, we're just kind of we're in the vibe we're in the moment but i really am hard-pressed to find any sort of underpinning here in terms of theme in terms of yeah. anything it's it's a nice slice of life. It's a moment in time, and that's fun. But this is the tenth best picture slot. I don't know about that. I, it, it wasn't the tenth. Like if we're trying to rank them to see which one got in that just under the line, that was that was Nightmare Alley by a long shot. Oh yeah. yeah. But this this is up there in terms of critical acclaim and stuff. Like this was mm-hmm. widely predicted to be best. Best Picture nominee. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know. It feels very under the Silver Lakey. People have seen that movie. Oh, that's you a great movie. Haven't. Yikes. That's a great movie. That's a better movie than this, I think. But I don't know. I think this movie is fun and forgettable, frankly. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Abram, I-, I think you and I are largely in agreement because I-, I just didn't get this movie. Like, I just didn't. I watched it, and, like, I think I know what happened, but, like, I could not draw, a, like, a line connecting any of the vignettes and while I think that it's aesthetically quite pleasing and there's a little bit of a romance story in here, there's just, ah, there's no, there's nothing going on for me that just like drags me in and makes me invested in it. And and the main characters and stuff are, they're fun enough, I think, to watch, but it didn't like, it didn't grab me as pretty much every other film on this listed. I felt myself really kind of being like, man, hmm, really would like to be doing something else right now. <laughs> While I was yeah, watching I it, so. which is, it's horrible. It's horrible to say that about a movie, but I, I had that thought to myself. I, I must truthfully self-report. That really did happen. So I'm, I think that there's some good evaluations here in the technical work, but man, I, am I just like kind of bored and, and I just have to give in to being like, ooh, pretty shot. Oh, they're driving a truck backwards. Okay, cool. And like, that's such like a low level of movie watching for me that it's not as enjoyable as something maybe with a little a little bit more plot, which I, oh my God, I can't believe I'm saying that, but I think it's true. <laughs> I, I think this film is interesting because it in no way wants you to care about the overarching things. It wants you to say, hey, we're starting a scene. You got the idea of the scene. Go with it. Go with the flow. Adapt yourself to the situation. What scenario are these characters in? Are they, are the, our two main characters having a fight? Are they friends again? Like, what is going on that is just in this moment? And I think there is an appeal to that, and I can certainly see why it would receive critical acclaim, why people would enjoy just the experience of watching. But I think my, my problem with this film is it is among the best of the best of last year, uh, according to critics, according to the Oscars ceremony, the, the Academy voters, um, which, which kind of feels out of place for me, because when we're talking about the best films of the year, it's ones that resonate not only with the the themes of the time, you know, something like Jews in the Black Messiah and Trial of the, Trial of the Chicago 7 last year, sort of having a, a mesh and also um, meeting with, with important themes and things we can talk about and competent filmmaking, great characters. This film feels out of time because it is intentionally that, but it also feels out of place because of that. I'm like, well, huh, what what is it that makes this best picture worthy? Uh, and, and Tanner, maybe you're a little bit higher on it than the rest of us. And I think so. Do you have I, sort I, of an explanation for this? Um, what, I, what I was kind of thinking of while you were saying that, Tucker, is Tanner, that I think defend this, film, this movie. I will. I, and it <laughs> seems that's going, that's going to be the dynamic here. Um, is that um, I, I think I can relate this film. I don't know if any of you guys would disagree, especially if you've seen these movies, to like a, um, a Fast Times at Ridgemont High or a Dazed and Confused type of film. Oh. You know, these nostalgic uh-huh. looks at like uh, young people coming of age, that kind of deal. 
And, uh, you know, uh, those films are very highly regarded, and um, at having watched both of them, they stood the test of time, and I really enjoy that. Those, those very simple coming-of-age stories. And I think that it's a similar thing here in Licorice Pizza. Um, and I can understand that, you know, n neither of those movies were nominated for Best Picture because they were... Uh, there lies the difference, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, there lies the difference. But I think it's important that Licorice Pizza, um, you know, we have really haven't we haven't really gotten a. I mean, uh, Fast Times at Richmond High was the more recent one, and that one came out in 1982. And since then, I can't recall any like hangout coming of age, just fun movie that we've gotten. And this really harkens back to that sort of era and approaches it with a very adult, a very adept directorial and writing hand from Paul Thomas Anderson. And I think that's why, you know, it, it's nostalgic not only for Paul Thomas Anderson and people have is of his age looking back at 1972 or whenever this movie is set, um, but also nostalgic for maybe younger people who remember an era where films like this were the norm. So maybe that's why it, it garnered this acclaim from from a critics who might be older and remembering mm. these times and remembering these films quite well. Which I I will say both Dazed and Confused, uh, Fast Times at Richmond High, and Licorice Pizza all about on the same level, all being very good. Hmm. I'm thinking I, about those movies because I've seen all those movies that you referenced, including some other ones that I think fit into this category of like the the high school coming of age that are more recent, like. Superbad, I think, falls into that category. Maybe even mm. Booksmart does as like a, a, a postmodern, uh, you know, new, very new film. But to me, I'm like, okay, so a lot of those films, especially Dazed and Confused, like really work for me and work as this like as these vignettes flowing together, leading to these different events. But this one, they all felt disconnected. They felt disconnected, like like in their ideas and like the central idea of like what's going on. I felt like the mm. our, our main character, Greg, Greg's his name, right? I'm getting Gary. Married. Gary. Gary. Greg's his brother. Greg's his brother. <laughs> yeah, okay, true. so you. Greg's the Gary brother Valentine. who gets like four lines of four lines of dialogue and yeah. doesn't yeah. matter no. to the plot, as do most of the side characters. <laughs> so Gary Valentine is always going off doing some crazy venture, and to me, those never had anything like bridging them together. He would always go off. You know, he did did the waterbed business, and then he moved on to the next thing, and it's like, you know. I just don't feel like these are the logical progression of one thing into the next. Like, Dazed and Confused doesn't really have a plot, but stuff moves along, mounting up to the climax. And in this film, I felt like the climax was like a a tense climax. It made me feel like, ooh, ah, are they going to get out of it? But, like, I didn't feel like it had the support of any of the stuff that came before it. It was just yet another isolated event, but the most yeah. exciting slash tense one of the film. And so I was like, I was like, I don't feel any of the weight going on here. I'm like, okay, well, mm. all right, here we are. Yeah, that, that's my thing about it. I, 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 this feels like a mood board. Like, like here's a bunch <laughs> of things we're gonna put up, and and they that's sort of evocative visually and sonically, and the and it has a distinct feel. And I think the feel is what ties the film together. My problem is, like, I don't understand as Timo's saying how these events build on each other. So I'll, I'll give an example of what I think is the funniest and most emblematic vignette in the film, which is when Bradley Cooper shows up. Yeah. <laughs> and he is fucking hysterical. But his dialogue really doesn't really doesn't make sense. This is basically an event that we slot into the narrative that doesn't really develop the characters beyond the sort of will-they-won't-they they tension between underage um, Gary and overage Elena, which we should probably talk Alana. about. Yeah. Alana. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whatever. Which well, that's her actual name as well. It's the actual name of the actor. Yeah, that's true. So, mm -hmm. but, but, but it's a, it's a fun moment. But why is it there? What are we supposed to gain? What, why, does, why is this a sequence of events? Because you can, t you can sort of, in a transitive sense, link together disparate s scenes thematically, sort of progress characters across these unrelated moments. But I just don't think this film does that. It, it becomes sort of like, hey, here's the part with Sean Penn, and then here's the part with Bradley Cooper, and then here's yep. the part with Benny Safdie. Yep. And they're all fun. But what am I supposed to learn about the main characters because of these? What, where are we going on our way through these vignettes? I just mm. think that that's the problem. What, what is the subtextual level that links them together? Because I can't um, find one. Tucker? Oh, I was just going to say, I, I think that the... The subtextual level is is essentially non-existent. I think intentionally so, and, and I don't necessarily think that 
that's inherently a bad thing, though it's something that I certainly had an issue with in this film. I was sort of, I just kept reaching for it and grabbing air, like, you know, uh, a raccoon putting, dipping the, uh, <laughs> the cotton candy, candy in, in water. The river. <laughs> and just like, where, where'd it go? Um, but I think what this film goes for is just about the shallowest uh, two-character interaction development that you can possibly get. And, and it's it's a normal friendship, and I think, well, pff, hold on. Let me run that back. It is not a normal friendship. Tucker, what kind is... of friends do you have? <laughs> Yikes. Uh, it is a friendship that they meet, they get to know on each, each other, they, they and then they have fights, and they are friends, and they have fights, and they're friends. But really the only change between the two of them is they don't know each other two minutes into the film they know each other and then woo 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 we're just going on a pretty much a flat line for the rest of the film and i think the fact that we don't get like build-ups and tensions of their fighting and this is why that they're suddenly friends again and this is why that this fight is starting like there are ideas of that but i feel like i'm always ready for there to be like a twist ready for them to like push the button be like no this is where this is leading to and that button is never pushed Mm. Which is, I think, is what what you're talking about, Abram. It's like, where, where are we going with this? Why do these moments really change them? Eh. Um, well, here's the thing, because that that's that's really the uh, the coming of age thing. You know, these are these are all formative experiences for these characters. Um, and I think you you know, Tucker, you you made the little woo 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 because this movie is really a a sine wave of uh, of uh, of the ups and downs and how Gary and Alana. Um, sort of understand each other as people. Yeah. Because ultimately, it is a coming-of-age story for the both of them. And I think there are different points in the film which uh, the vignettes serve. Like, uh, Abram brought up the Bradley Cooper section, and he asks, uh, what what purpose does this scene serve? And I think ultimately, after after you get some, some fun antics in a tense scene of Alana being a super cool badass and driving that truck all the way down the hill backwards, um, it leads to... An important turning point in her character, which is under, which is really coming to realize the immaturity of Gary. That she, because uh, as Does an audience, does that not happen before that? No, it's right because she no, she backs right. she backs all the way down the truck. You know, they they stop in the middle of the road, and she's sitting on the side of the road oh, with her head no, in you're her right, hands. You're right. And yeah. she looks up the hill to see the silhouette of Gary and his stupid fifteen year old friends pretending to have sex with each other with gas can penises. Yeah. Great. And team. she's like. Great shot. Yeah, like, I, I, I've gotten sort of swept up in Gary Valentine's personality. He's a fast-talking, you know, he, he's always got scams going on, scams and schemes going on. Um, but he is a 15-year-old kid. And that's mm-hmm. when Alana realizes that. And that's when, you know, immediately after that, she goes to work for Benny Safdie. Um, I can and, see. That is, that is a logical progression. I, yeah. I actually, I agree with you. Thank you uh, for see, like, elucidating. So but, go for but, it. Sorry, everyone. But, like... It doesn't matter. This is kind of my problem. It doesn't matter because she just loves him anyway. And like, if, if we're talking about a coming of age narrative, I feel like you should be able to, in some sense, resonate with the coming of age that happens. But this kid is just selling waterbeds, now he's selling <laughs> pinball tables, and now he's like moving shit in big trucks. Like, mm-hmm. if I, I understand how we can sort of provoke character reactions out of these scenes and maybe push on a character arc. But what does that really accomplish in the end? I guess it's kind of my problem. We never Gary never really has to reconcile his lifestyle, well, well, and he's never really asked to either by Alana. Yeah, I mean that that is a thing about the ending of the film, you know, where uh, ultimately, and this is the this is the um, we we should probably, as you said, Abram, we should probably talk about the age gap thing because uh, the film brings it up a number of times, and it it's, has sort of dominated the conversation around licorice pizza as well. But that's where the film ends: is that they are together again. They um, Alana has sort of. Uh, I assume she's going to leave her job at um, Joel, Joel Wax, the, who, the guy who's running from there, Benny Safdie. Yeah, Benny Safdie. going to leave her job there. Uh, Gary's probably going to continue running the pinball business, and the sine wave is going to continue. And I think that's that, that's maybe the point that Paul Thomas Anderson wants to leave us on, is that the relationship is volatile, and nothing is really fixed, and they're just going to sort of stay in this loop until something happens you know it's a continual coming of age sort of deal um and i can understand that that can be you know not narratively pleasing for some audiences but i think it's a it's a justifiable ending for the film nonetheless it it, ma- it matches with the with the idea that 
Anderson is going for in the whole film, I think. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, hmm, I just, well, shall we do it? Shall we talk about the age gap? I'll, I, I can throw my oh, okay, hat in yeah, the ring about it. To yeah. me, I'm like, okay. It's bad. 15-year-olds and 25-year-olds shouldn't date. I'm going to say it up yeah. top. I, I don't think anyone's going to disagree with that. They shouldn't date. They shouldn't date. I don't think that, I think that that violates the half your age plus seven or however it goes rule. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that that it's just like, I wish they would stop bringing it up. They bring it up too much in the movie. It's like either, either it's like here in the beginning and you just kind of like, like shove it away and you just are like, okay, they look sort of the same age. Like not, they don't look too terribly different, but like they have, why do, why do they have to keep bringing it up? I just wish I like if they, if they either just wrote it out, I I don't know. I just, cause like the story, their characters don't work if they're not this, but Ah, why? I don't know. I'm. I just. I. I don't know how. How fully I've grappled with it. Besides, like. <laughs> well, it, all right. It, it, it's interesting. I. I think that that's why the movie is interesting at all to me. I think it is these two different but similar in a way characters that meet and have a connection. And personally, I'm. I'm not pro uh, underage dating I'm not <laughs> suggesting that that should be a thing but I am in my mind thinking this does make for an interesting story it makes for an interesting set of character dynamics and I like their bond together they're they're they have a very believable friendship even if it does border on creepy in some ways but you can understand mm-hmm. that they're both immature and mature in certain ways and and he's certainly a quote-unquote wise beyond his years because what other 15 year old guy do you know that's doing this and she has a lot of insecurities that she's able to sort of make up for by by projecting onto Gary. Like, the way that they develop together, I think, is genuinely great and very interesting and, and what kept me compelled through the course of the movie. So I don't I don't care that they're, that they age gap. I think it's an interesting story concept. But I do agree with Timo. I'm sitting there at the beginning of the movie and I'm like, yeah, fine. Okay, I can get on board with this. I'm just, I just want to see how the characters develop. But then, like, every 20 minutes on the dot, they're like, Oh, yeah, do you remember that Gary's 15? Oh, yeah, we're not supposed to be, like, having a romantic relationship. And the fact that they keep, just, like, poking you with that, it's like, come on, man. Like, just let it exist, frankly. Um, If I may, I think it's important to continue, because the character, of, namely Alana, is reminded of it, because that is her, comp- like, she knows that she shouldn't be romantically involved with Gary, which she yeah. is. Uh, and she or she sort of uses this like business partner uh, facade to to yeah. cover it up um, because she is insecure. That's like her whole deal. She's insecure, but you know she's twenty five years old. She doesn't have a stable job, and she's still trying to be cool. And that's why she gloms onto Gary because Gary has this facade of being cool and a fast talking guy. Oh, um, let's 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 slow the roll. Gary Valentine is a cool guy. He yeah, is okay, okay, just well. up there getting shit done, moving stuff. He's yeah, a cool but, guy. But the, the thing is, like, why is Gary doing that is the thing. Sure. Is that he's putting on this facade of, you know, he's he's in, he's going to be a down-and-out former child actor is this guy's trajectory. And he's just, yeah. like, prolonging that with these short-lived schemes and stuff like that. And, he, and it is a facade of being cool, which Alana glums onto, and she knows she shouldn't because he's 15. And um, that, that that's the sort of th- that's the sort of thing and her continual reminder that... Uh, he is fifteen and she is twenty-five. That's the that that I think that is why that reminder remains. I think though that the film doesn't treat our two main characters very equally in terms of like the amount that it gives us to think about. For me, I was just unimpressed by Gary's character. There just wasn't that much there to really talk about and the film didn't present very much information about him about how he is what does he th- what does gary think about all these schemes that he's doing he just does the schemes and we never get any yeah. moments where we f- i feel like we learn about him as a character and so but we do we get to see bits of um, alana's home life and we get to see how she's mm-hmm. around when gary's not there and i think that the film as though even though it's like s- starts focused on gary it quickly sidesteps that and goes down this route of following and focusing on Alana as a character and a result she's much more interesting and I'm I care a lot more about her Mm, and so it's and then but then like she's still like oh I love you Gary at the end and I'm like but like 
I, I've been given no reason to believe that this guy is interesting or any there's any merit to him at all because I just like I don't know anything about him besides from what like the very surface level stuff that were shown on the film. And I think that maybe you could say that well that's the point he's supposed to be like an empty vapid character. But if that's the case, I would have least liked that to be demonstrated within the film. Mm. The film show that to me at least some way. There I think there are definitely ways that you can write the characters that sh like proclaim their their vapidity, I guess. Um, through actions and that kind of stuff, rather than, than than it being like me having to just like be like, oh okay, they're just nothing in there. So Abram, yeah. yeah, okay. Well, so here's my opinion on this whole age gap thing because I think sure. I think the age gap really is central to their relationship, and the relationship mm -hmm. is central to how they develop as characters and why Alana is interesting. Frankly, I think she's. I agree, she's way more interesting than Gary. But here's the thing. I don't care that there's that there is a. I don't care that. I mean, Alana is a pedophile in the movie. She just is, and I don't. I, I think that that makes the movie interesting. I agree with Tucker. I don't look to my movies for moral guidance. Frankly, I find it's probably the more immoral in narrative. Except for Gigi. <laughs> of course, as we know. I think that's everyone the go watch the Gigi review if you have <laughs> not yet. <laughs> The more immoral a narrative you're telling, the more room you open up for a good writer to explore these topics, which are just never going to be explored in real life, right? Yeah. My problem with this movie is that one of well, one of my many problems with the movie is that the age gap. Paul Thomas Anderson has nothing to say about the fact that they are ten years apart. It's used as a way to reflect a lot of issues that Alana has in her life. But those can be accomplished without ha them having a romantic sexual interest in each other. Like, what is the point of this? I think I think about the film that was snubbed for Best Picture back when it released, I believe, 2014, Transformers Age of Extinction. Yeah. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. And, and there's a subplot. <laughs> there's a subplot. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Jesus. Continue. A I know you're going with this, but continue. Right. There's a subplot there where the where Mark Wahlberg's daughter is a minor, and her boyfriend mm -hmm. is an adult, and he carries around in his wallet a, a laminated copy of the Romeo and Juliet law. Mm -hmm. and Texas I think boys, that, you have to answer for this, by the way, because the film takes place in Texas. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is right. This exists. Mm -hmm. I, and I, frankly, I think that that has about the same level of plot relevance and thematic unpacking as the age gap in Licorice Pizza. Because, uh, well, no, seriously, can somebody tell me what this movie has to say about their age gap? Yeah, I don't think you can find anything. And again, I understand how it reflects their characters. But Al Alana worked as like a life touch photographer. She could realize she could just strike up a friendship with kids at a high school and realize that her life is going nowhere and she needs to change without without accosting a 15 year old boy and showing him her tits and then running out of the house like like the movie has nothing to say about this. And I think that that is a really weird, weird facet of this entire conversation. Yeah, um, I, I, that. I just want to quickly say, I think sure, that's sure, what I was trying it. to get at earlier. Mm -hmm. Not the fact that they continue to bring it up. That is inherently the problem because, of course, it is it exists. It's, a, it's an issue for Alana. But the fact that each time that they bring it up, it's the same thing of bringing it up. It's like, hey, remember, Gary's 15 and you shouldn't be in this relationship. And she's like, yeah, that's right. But then she keeps doing it anyway. The fact that it isn't different permutations of that necessarily it doesn't delve deeper into that as we go she doesn't reflect more and more as we go she does to a certain degree but not enough to make it like super substantive but the fact that it's just like a continual poke of yep remember ding ding this is thing and you should keep it in your mind <laughs> um well I, I i think um i might be covering the same ground here but i think it's what, what it's saying is about the uh, these either of these characters maturity and the coming of age of them um, because, you know, uh, Alana is immature in the way of she's 25, uh, she flips out on people, she's temperamental, she flips out on her family for her perceived, uh, in, she, she flips out on them because she is projecting onto them her own inadequacies. Like, she, right, because she, she yells at her sisters after that dinner scene that, oh, you think I'm a loser because I don't have a job or whatever, and you have it all figured out even though you work for mom and dad and everything. Um, she's immature in that sense, and she, she seeks this valid, she seeks validation, shallow validation from these stunted man-children like uh, Sean Penn's character and 
Uh, is there another one? No, no, the, one after that is um, Bradley Benny Cooper, which she, which she doesn't really have an interest in, and Benny Safdie, who is yeah. who's more mature, but she ultimately realizes that she'd rather settle for Gary than go for someone who kind of has his life figured out, also because, uh, as we find out, Benny Safdie's gay, uh, yeah. so that's not really an option for her. Um but yeah, I, I think that I think it's it serves the purpose of highlighting the maturity of both of these characters, the, the maturity levels of both of these characters. Because at the same time, Gary is immature because he like a, like I said, I feel like I'm covering the same ground here. Is that he's putting on this facade of cool um, because his mother is almost never present, and he's sort of left to his own devices to try and figure out how to be successful uh he was exposed to like in industry that breeds like you have to be successful all the time at a very young age and he's about to age out of all of these child acting roles so he's trying to find a way to seem more mature and be fast talking and be cool and things like that so i think that is the ultimate purpose of the age gap is that it's it, it is an avenue not only to um it's an avenue, like like I've been saying, it's just an avenue yeah. to discuss the maturity and the coming of age storyline. I but, agree with you, Tanner. I just, I'm, I'm, mm. what I come back to is, I just don't think that that needed to be a romantic <clears throat> component to that relationship. Yeah, in order that's to, what he was saying to communicate that theme. Because mm. I think, I think about this: if they're if they're in a romantic relationship here, when there's that big of an age gap, there's a power imbalance. And I think what becomes interesting at very particular points in the film is the way in which. Alana is an adult, right? She mm-hmm. ha- she holds the power over him. She not only in a physical sense of oh, I can take you out to New York to go to the um, right. to go to your press junket, but but also just like she's the adult, right? Yeah. She, she knows child. things. Like when, yeah. when right. the news is happening, she's like, you don't know about this war and stuff. And he's like, yeah. right. Uh, See, I'm literally in seventh grade or whatever. <laughs> but and then the film gets interesting because Tanner, I think you're right about this sort of ethos that Gary tries to adapt. And there's points in the film where even though he is a minor, ten years her younger, he has power over her, and she has to do very childish things to try to get him back. Like there's that shot mm-hmm. when she is in the restaurant um, with Sean Penn, and she's making eyes with Gary and like sticking mm-hmm. out his tongue at her, and it's mm-hmm. like. You're 25. He's 15. What? Yeah. So, so there are there are like specific moments where there's this inversion of this like fucked up, illegal like mm-hmm. like sexual power dynamic here. But the film that is the only time that I think the film actually does something of use with its age gap, particularly as it relates to the romantic relationship they have. But even that is a lot of projection on my behalf, looking for things we could pull out of there to derive meaning. But ultimately. Yeah. Again, she they could have just been friends. She could have just worked platonically at Gary's water waterbed business and come to the same sort of character revelations about herself. Yeah, but the, um, the movie does not interrogate the romantic element of this, which I think that you need to do if you're going to have a pedophilic relationship in your movie. I think sure. that yeah, I can under. Oh, sorry, Abr- oh, sorry, Timo. I was going to say, um, oh, no. I don't. I think it's. Yeah, it, it's pretty clear that PTA is taking a sort of neutral stance on these sort of things. He's like we said up top, I think, or I, one of I, I think it was you, Abram, who said, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson knows that the audience doesn't need him to tell him to tell you that the relationship is bad. You know, uh, he so instead of taking a condemnatory thing and making the the negative uh, of it forefronted, he takes more of a neutral stance and operates under on your understanding that. You know this is bad, and uh, as we as we've discussed already, Alana knows this is bad as well. But she's stuck in this sine wave of you know uh, of the of the coming of age sort of narrative, which we've talked about as well. What I was gonna yeah. say before Tanner walked all over my sorry, thought, my bad, my bad. Um, you're good, you're good. Was that I think that we're all describing how these characters are, and we're investigating who who they are and, and what's going on between them in their relationship. But to me, I want the next step. What does that mean? What does that mean as a film like by Paul Thomas Anderson? Are these supposed to be characters that he knew? Are these just fake characters made up? Are these like emblematic and representative of something in the world? There's this thematic discussion of this age gap, which I think is probably maybe the most salient thematic idea in the film. I don't think that there's a lot else. Certainly the most core one. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's not a lot else to grab onto. But even that to me is rather shallow because it's just it's just narrow. It's just dealing with them. There's no way to apply this, I feel like, to anything greater in the world. And to me, when I'm thinking about best pictures, that should really be an aspect of the film, an aspect of the theme that you can you can take it to the next level and be like, oh, okay, there's some implication that I can think of in my life or that maybe I've seen in some other film where I can think about society at large. The film kind of has like a, it has this little narrative with the, the oil crisis and they're not being, but it's just plot ramifications. There's no thematic mm. relevance to any of that. And so I'm just, I'm stuck wanting a little more from these themes, even though, you know, I, I can agree that I see them, didn't really pick up on them while I was watching the film. Um, for the first time, I was like, hmm, yeah, okay. So it's like, hmm, if only, if, if only there was a little bit more to grab onto thematically beyond just how these characters are and how they interact yeah i I think the reason that it feels kind of limiting in its scope is because let's be real the only developed characters are our two main characters we have funny side characters i think benny safdie is the closest that we get to another developed character with like Mm -hmm. an actual character problem and stuff but everyone else are just bit parts. Even the characters that are there from the beginning to the end of the movie, which is Gary's squad of goons who are just around him to to carry his shit and and say something about weed or whatever. Um, I think the problem is that not only that these characters and their dynamic isn't developed on a thematic level, but is that there aren't developed other side characters for them to talk to about their problems and you to relate throughout the film of, okay, oh, so this is how your dynamic is changing because of this relationship. This is what's impacting you on the outside. This is what this person thinks of this. It's kind of just one-off things, little sparkles across the film that I think end up having it feel a little bit shallow. If there were one of Gary friend, Gary's friends and maybe one of Alana's parents or one of Alana's sisters that were core to the film and we had a lot more scenes with them and we knew what that character was like and what they thought about this relationship then even if it didn't develop on a thematic level, we would have a greater understanding of the import, the importance of this relationship within the context of the world. As it exists, it exists, and people say, that's bad, or hey, you guys are cute together, or whatever, but that, that's just about it. That's that's the base level, and I think I, I'm someone who enjoys a good, tight character study, but this movie doesn't exist in that kind of vacuum. They're, they, they aren't the only people interacting with each other. They have lives of their own, they're, they've got friends, they've got family members, all sorts of people go, coming and going, but we never, they're never touched upon. And, and I think that's a little bit unfortunate when uh, there could be great conversations, there could be great character development from side characters that we just never get. Yeah. Uh, Tucker, thank you for bringing up um, Alana's parents and family, because I, I get to my, I get to do my first little trivia segment here. I got, I got a lot of trivia for this movie, by the way. Good so we're, Googling movie. We're going oh, to see how we're going to see how much we can get through. Um, but as some some keen eyed or, uh, you know, just general pop culture knowledge, having viewers may know uh, Alana's family is the Haim family. Alana Haim being the main character, and her family, her sisters play her sisters, and her parents play her parents. Um, all of them unprofessional actors, obviously. Uh, her father, Modi Haim, uh, apparently improvised most of his lines, and the the what-the-fuck moment when she comes home in her bikini from the waterbed sale or whatever is was apparently improved and done on the first take. So that's, <laughs> that's, just, that's just a little fun thing well, there. Okay, I think I improved, but like, yeah, that's what a f- dad would say. Like, it's not clever that he says what the fuck. So, like, I don't think putting the improv rise. bit on it, it got a chuckle out of me. It's a funny I, moment, it, sure, yeah. but like, yeah, it, I don't it, know. It, it was it was he was naturally funny on the first take and made something up that was that was funny. I was the, the phrase "what the fuck." He made that up. <laughs> well, he said in a certain way, if you remember. It's called acting, Tucker. Yeah, I'm not I sure if you're of aware it. of it. No, saying uh, things that aren't that uh, that that are typically said, <laughs> but in a special way that makes it memorable. Oh, ah, thank yeah. you for the definition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought that the credits were unto a part of the movie on their set. Uh, mm-hmm. As they're, they they should you, you got to watch them at least the parts with all the the characters. That almost felt like the bookend to the film to me. Watching these little vignettes that not really anything's going on, but to me I was like, oh, okay, this is how this character ended up. And yet the, none of them said anything. You know, I think it's 
cool that Alana Haynes' family is their her family. It makes it look very, you know, realistic. Makes mm-hmm. it look like they really are all siblings and related. But yeah, I mean, they don't. Yeah. They're not very There's developed a, characters. <laughs> there is a lot of instances. Uh, in fact, a good a good portion of this trivia is just like PTA casted this famous person or this this person that he's like related to or friends with in the role. So if if I may, and this might this might inspire us to remember a few moments and talk about some different things as well. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio's father, George DiCaprio, is the water mattress salesman. Uh, <laughs> you, remember, you remember that guy? He's like, hey, this is the new cool thing. Daddy-o. Oh, yeah, that d- guy. Oh, the, the hippie guy. <laughs> the, the hippie guy, yeah, the waterbed salesman. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. What else we got? Oh, uh, obviously, John C. Riley shows up for like three seconds as yep. Herman Munster at the at the teenage fair or whatever. Um, What else we got? Um, His, his um, mother-in-law, that's what it would be. His mother-in-law, uh, Kimiko... Uh, is actually the inspiration for uh, the two Japanese wives of the restaurant owner, uh, and she, she sort of relates some of her. Uh, she she shared some of her experiences with racism, which contributed to that aspect of the film, that like C or D plot line, if you want to call it that. Uh, but she was actually present. That's ah, like an at, M plot line. <laughs> yeah, uh, she was present at the at the restaurant scene uh, alongside her husband and her grandchildren. By the way, uh, her husband being Maya Rudolph's father. So Paul Thomas Anderson and Maya Rudolph married. That's a little interesting thing. So <laughs> PTA's kids were in that restaurant scene. Uh, Steven Spielberg's daughter is the girl in the bathroom who talks about uh, that Frisbee. Gary's always trying to... Oh, yeah, Frisbee. Her name's Frisbee. That's the character's name. Yeah, I was true. just elucidating. <laughs> uh, that Gary's always trying to get hand jobs from her or whatever. Uh, what else we got here? Oh, um, the radio station guy, you know, the guy that he, mm-hmm. he does like the ads or whatever. That, is, I, uh, I was like, oh, that, I'm that guy. He's like, yeah. he, he's just like me. That's what I saw. I said when he came on. Yeah. Just like me uh, for real. He is Danielle Haim's boyfriend and also produces some of Haim's albums. So yeah, the, the, yeah uh-huh. a, the, this movie is, mm-hmm. this movie is just kind of like nepotism. The movie in a lot of ways, just a lot of side characters. I felt like, like it was advertised as having a lot of famous fellas in it, but it didn't really feel like it had a lot of famous fellas in it while I was watching it. I mean, like, I was like, oh, yeah, that's Bradley Cooper. And then after a while of looking at at Candidate Wax, I was like, oh, yeah, I suppose that's Benny Safdie, too. But those that's are like uncut the gems. Only... <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, really, it was. Those are the only two that I noticed that I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. And I remember seeing the trailer and being like, dang, there's a lot of famous people in this movie. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what happened with that. Well, I, I think the thing is that this movie is was sold on it being PTA's movie, Hollywood, all these actors, that kind of stuff. But the, in reality, the film is about Alana Haim and uh, and Cooper uh, Hoffman. Uh, Hoffman. Yeah, I knew that. Cooper Hoffman. And the two of them are probably going to be famous. I mean, they're both very good in this movie, and this mm-hmm. is their first film role each that's impressive. I mean, that mm-hmm. that's going to kickstart their career. They're going to be famous. So regardless, looking back, this film is going to have a stacked cast, uh, even if the the main players are not famous now. They certainly will be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, for, Alana Haim is famous for being in the band Haim, so. Yeah, but that would require me knowing music stuff, which I don't. That's fair. That's fair. But the <laughs> audience fair. might. Audience might. I hope someone in the audience appreciated my Cooper Sharp cheese joke. Also. Oh, and also, also Cooper Hoffman is tangentially famous because his father is Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Here's what I have to say. I'm, what I'm, do you have for me to say, say Abram? Say, it's time speak for me to say your something. truth right now. I, I th- see. I, I like your comparison to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Tanner, mm-hmm. because I feel like a lot of these bit parts very much feel like. Um, it's it's Al Pacino, right, who shows up to uh, to talk with DiCaprio about bounty law or whatever, right? In, yeah, in maybe. Once Upon a Time, and, but for in my opinion, the the cameos in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and the sort of lens of reality and and fiction and filmmaking blended together there had more of a purpose. Hmm, Here, it sure. feels pretty purposeless. Ultimately, like. The, the scene with Sean Penn is funny because it's it's Sean Penn and he's like jumping a motorcycle in the middle of a field for no reason. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's what it comes back to. Like as you're reading out this laundry list of, of people in addition to these three very overt Hollywood things that it reminds mm-hmm. me of like 
Yeah, so this is why the movie is garnering acclaim, right? I actually think that it's our two leads that really steal the show, frankly. I think that they are. They both turn in very good performances and they're very charismatic. The, the other stuff just feels like fluff for the most part, even though Bradley Cooper, again, is so funny. When he threatens yeah. when he threatens to make a flamethrower <laughs> and burn that guy alive at the gas pump. Oh, yeah. It, it is so... Hi. It. it How? How big's your penis hole? <laughs> Can you imagine how, how much it would hurt if I shoved that excuse up there? There is no sense of place or realism or anything to anything Bradley Cooper does. And it's funny. But again, it's like, yeah, it's Bradley Cooper. That's the joke. That's why this is entertaining. And it'd be less entertaining if the same thing was delivered by just somebody we didn't know. And I, I guess it just ends up ringing hollow for me. I think a lot of mm. these celebrity components ring hollow, even if it is funny to <laughs> to see him like throw a trash can through a, a window and then start oh, yeah. trying to pick up some tennis women. Like, <laughs> you, pe- you, guys, you guys like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? <laughs> yeah, it's funny, but but it's, it's just Bradley Cooper. He's there yeah. because you could have Bradley Cooper on the fucking poster. I don't know. It, it yeah. feels empty. Um, yeah, well, I think I, that... I, 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 I think that's that's my assessment too. Tanner, what do you got to say? Um, I just want to bring up some of the, some of those moments that are really fun. You know, our, our our celebrity cameo moments bring about the greatest comedy in this. I think. I mean, you have the Sean Penn and Tom Waits as the classic character Rex Blau and uh, Jack Holden, uh, the the director actor can uh, the director actor duo, which who are apparently based on uh, Sam Peckinpah and William Holden. Uh, the sure. I thought, I thought that William Holden. I was like Holden. That's a famous Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, uh, apparently, um, Sam Peckinpah did actually do like a motorcycle jump randomly in the middle of like, a, a golf course somewhere. So that's that's based on real events, supposedly, allegedly. Um, but that moment was just great, and all those moments are great. Uh, I think it also points. Uh, that moment also has my favorite shot in the whole movie, which is Tom Waits coming through that like the billow of cigarette smoke just kind of hanging in the air. And he comes through it, and he and he's like he's drunk, and he's got a cigarette hanging out the corner of his mouth. He's like. Uh, Jack, you son of a bitch, or whatever, you golden, <laughs> inexpensive, stupid son of a bitch. I love Tom Waits' voice, and any, any moment that he's speaking is golden, because I just love how he sounds. Um, but yeah, we, we talked about the Bradley Cooper uh, thing, which is fantastic. Um, I think that, because yeah, ben, Benny Safdie is our last little vignette, or am I forgetting one? Because, uh, I think, you're, yeah, I think had, you're right. I think he is the last Okay. One. Yeah, because we get Sean Penn, we get Bradley Cooper, and Benny Safdie. That's that, and that takes us up to the end of the film. A question for you, Tanner. Yes. Is is the like? Well, we we learn that 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 the guy in the twelve shirt is actually presumably a reporter who is trying to get dirt on Benny Safdie's relationship. Right. But was that just like a taxi driver reference? Um, I don't know. I don't it know actually. Like it felt set- taxi driver esque, didn't the it? The whole yeah, the whole setup was just out of taxi driver. Yeah, because like the uh, Alana looking out the window and seeing the creepy guy hanging out across the street—that's just straight out of taxi driver. Oh, you know what? Yeah, yeah. wow. Oh, I felt I thought that felt familiar, but it's just now clicking yeah. for me. Yeah, and like she's she's working for like a political candidate and you know, yeah, stuff yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, do you guys? I guess I should ask. Do you guys have any favorite moments of the of the film? Uh. Joke wise, comedic wise, or otherwise? Mm. Uh, mm. Not that are coming what to mind the, right now. What about the I talent mean, agent? I also love that the talent agent scene. Just say, like, say yes to just everything. Just say yes to everything. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. It's like you're you're a fucking fighter, aren't you? You're a fucking fighter. <laughs> oh, she was she was great. She was great. Yeah. Uh, I think this movie is funny, but I think it's kind of just funny in the moment, unless you're remembering Bradley Cooper, uh, because a lot of it kind of has just faded into the background, and, and I was giggling and, and smiling throughout, but it kind of mm-hmm. just sort of reached a, a low hum of comedy, or a hum of comedy. It was a low hum. It was a solid hum yeah, of, solid of hum. comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, throughout the whole thing, that kind of just left it on a, yeah, small chuckle. Like, that. that's kind of what this movie operates on for me. Yeah, I, I mean... See, oh, Abram, go ahead. I, I was going mean, to divert I, from the comedy to something new. Well, it's, yeah, because to the point about the comedy, I do think the movie is funny. I, I think that's one of the things that was pulling it through. There, there is, mm. there is a wit to the movie, which I, it's, it's an eclectic wit, which I appreciate. When I agree, that talent agency scene is great because that camera gets real mm-hmm. close to that woman's yeah, yeah, face, yeah. and she is just, it's, the, the, the film really does not care about constructing a sense of believability to, to really anything that happens. And I think that there is a charm in that, and, and there is, I think, a mastery in 
in uh, like immersing me in these scenes that why is this happening? Who is going to act like this? Sure, maybe you can say that Bradley Cooper is on acid or something, right? Because he's mm-hmm. famous, right? But what's this talent agency lady doing? It's just comedic. And again, it contributes to why I think this movie operates on two very different levels of quality. Mm-hmm. As just an enjoyable narrative, I think it's fun. I think it, it's got a spirit and aesthetic kind of like The Nice Guys or something, even though The Nice Guys is an yeah. astronomically better film, in my opinion. That's but, but, like... None of these things feed into anything deeper. So I, I do think it is funny. I like the talent agency scene a lot. I think Bradley Cooper, again, steals the show for, in terms of the, the comedy, even though I think that the, the main two leads are able to hold more. Bradley Cooper exists kind of just like on that shock value of yeah. what is he's he volat- doing? He's volatile. He, he can't stick around for a long time. He, yeah. he, the, the, brightest sh- the brightest stars die the soonest or whatever the saying is. I was thinking like, man, wouldn't it be funny if Bradley Cooper was here for the entire movie? And then by the time we got to the scene like on the street, I'm like, no, it actually would not be. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's used sparingly and appropriately. So the humor works for me, I think. I was going to move on briefly to the aesthetics of the film because I think mm. that while the other parts don't really hit for me, this film is beautiful and it's really well constructed. I think that the like the all the filmmaking fundamentals of it are great. I love the way the camera moves and the way that the it, all the frames. It's just that beautiful '70s color. Those soup. It's you get some amazing LA lens flares. Just like it's it. It looks like mm-hmm. a '70s film. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'm into that. I think that just the 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 visuals of it are very beautiful and enough to make me keep looking at it. Maybe yeah. not enough to make me pay attention, but I watched the film. <laughs> yeah, I also I, I also love the look of this film. You know, um, like like you said, the the lens flares and stuff like that. Just the production design and how they capture like 1970s LA and the costumes are all fantastic. Um, going back to like the 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 actual cinematography and direction, I love the the shot of the golf course. It's just like a thick layer of mist over the entire thing, and uh, you know, and the the, the great shot, like the do great uh, parallels of uh, Gary like sprinting across to go to go to Alana who, when she fell off the back of the motorcycle, and then Sean Penn like standing up on it, and he's like, "I'm coming, Nancy," and then it's cutting back and forth and like cross paths. I think it's I think it's there's a lot of stuff like that that is very clearly coming from a very uh, experienced director who knows how to make things look good and has a lot of care for capturing uh, a certain feel and aesthetic of the time. Yeah, don't disagree at all. I mean, yeah, I, I have nothing more to add, frankly. Uh, you're, okay. you're right. Looks good. It's good music, good costume. I, I um, honestly don't have much more to add about this movie in general. Oh, sure. Yeah, I, th- I think I'm running off steam personally. But 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 what did the the, the, the nominations? Oh, but yeah, the, the, the nominations. Um, well, uh, th- there's not many. There's there's three, uh, including best picture. It was also nominated. PTA got nominated for best director. He also got nominated for best original screenplay. Oh, so, okay. So there you have it. none of the awards, the the parts of the movie that I liked. Huh? No. I mean, I think maybe closest is PTA's direction because I think he's very good at wrangling the aesthetic it's, and having a very clear vision for this film, which I think is maybe one of its strongest suits. Is, it's clearly is directed. It's it, yes. it, it, it it is, you know, it's it doesn't feel like it doesn't know what it's mm-hmm. doing, but I just disagree with what it's doing. Yeah. Should should we give it a score and uh, and then figure out where it goes on the list? I'm kind of feeling like giving it a score right now. I'm ready to score it. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. What am I going to give this movie? I think I know what I'm going to give it. I'm punching it in. Do you I, guys have yours pulled up? Have it ready to put in? I do. I yeah. have put in a number. Wouldn't okay. it be funny if Paul Thomas Anderson directed a movie called PTA? I mean, wait, fuck. Parent Teacher Association? Good joke. I know what you were going for. I know what you were going for. Awesome joke, man. All right, let's find mm-hmm. out what this score is in three, two, one. Ah, boop. Okay, wow. and we nice have a spread there, boys. We have mm-hmm. a number. It's six point eight. So that is going to put it in the seventh spot. What above? Don't look up at the nearly the bottom of the list. The point breakdown, starting from the top. Tanner gave it an eight point five. I gave it a seven point zero. Tucker gave it a six point five, and Abram gave it a five point two. So. Fairly, you know, 8.5 to 5.2 is nearly uh, four, almost three whole points of difference there. So 
wow, we weren't super super unison, even though I feel like a lot of our, mm. our, our talking this points. Is, this is the, the widest spread I think we've had in a while, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Um, if but, I make but give... Honestly, not a particularly contentious widespread. I think we no. all shared our opinions on this and we're like, yeah, yeah. okay, I can well, see yeah, that. Yeah. Here's the thing. If I, if I can do my closing thoughts, I felt like I was playing um, defense for a lot of this. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if I got to share a lot of my thoughts, which is fine. You know, the, the defense it, it, therein lies my thoughts on it as well. I was I was sharing my opinion against the opinions of all of users. And I'm not saying that you guys hate the movie because clearly you don't. You think it's like pretty good or average at best, you know, so, stuff like that. Um, but I think that, because uh, uh, I feel like a common criticism among you guys was that it's just kind of like a, it's just kind of like a hangout, whatever kind of film. Is that, is, am I not far off there? Yeah, I yeah. think you're not far off. Yeah. That. Which I, which um, I would like to clarify is not a, is not inherently right, a bad thing. Right. And I'll enjoy those plenty. But I think it doesn't feel right to me in the context of best film of the year, best right. script of the year, because, okay, where's the screenplay going? I have no fucking clue. Like, mm-hmm. th- there are questions about this that sort of lower it from the Oscars Best Picture nomination territory that I think is why I'm contentious about it. Yeah. If I were if I were reviewing this in any other context, I'd probably get a 7.5 or something like that, but it's a little lower on Quest. Because th- th- and therein, uh, therein lies my point, is that I think I've kind of realized that um, the, the thing of, like, judging it as a against like other best pictures and how best picturey is it is maybe mm. sort of maybe sort of reductive uh, for 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 me myself and I is that well what what does it mean to be a best picture can't can't a best picture really be anything in fact what wouldn't I wouldn't I th- wouldn't I have had a lot of fun if uh, fast times at Ridgemont High won best picture I would have and I, I I really would have enjoyed that because I think judging it on judging it on its own merits it's very good at what it's seeking to accomplish and I had a very good time with it Wow, Tanner's getting very philosophical about the true meaning of the quest for the best. Best picture. <laughs> what I would say about this matter is that uh, uh, until we get to the end of this month and Dune wins best picture, none yeah. of the movies we watch for quest are like anywhere near my top twenty-five favorite films of all time. Fair enough. Except, except for maybe, except for maybe The Godfather. So, so when I think about this, I'm not really. I, I do feel that it is out of place in comparison to the films we watch for this show, but I also just think it's meandering and not very interesting for, for, mm. for my general baseline enjoyment level. Sure. I, I do expect more out of, out of a, a film we watch for Quest, but out of any film I watch, I, I expect a little bit more of, of, a, of a deft hand in the character department, in the, in the thematics department. And so while I think the middle ground I share with you, Tanner, is that the movie is fun, I, I, I do find large swaths of the movie to be fun, even though I did have to break it up. I, I just felt like no matter when I'm watching a movie, I want there to be something underneath it that I'm going to remember or think about. And frankly, I don't think I'm going to remember or think about much of this film outside of the fact that Bradley Cooper was going to torch a man alive in the middle of an oil embargo. And like, that's not really what I was hoping to walk away from the movie with. So. Fair enough. Fair it's enough. okay. It's enjoyable, but forgettable, I think. I think okay. that that statement right there sums up my thoughts entirely, Abram. I enjoyed it while I was watching it for the most part. Um, I think had I gone and seen it in the theater, it might have been a little bit more engaging. You know, you sit in the theater and I'm like, I have nothing else to do but watch this movie right now. Whereas at home, I'm like, hmm, man, I could go do something else. I could like study for some homework right now. Ooh, or, you know. Yucko. So... I was like, that's not a bad, that's a bad part of our review right there. If you're mm-hmm. like, hey, I really wish I could go do homework right <laughs> yeah. now. That's maybe the most damning thing that's ever been said on the show. <laughs> well, you said some pretty damning things about uh, From Here to Eternity, though. That was a long time ago. I don't even know. If you, I, that was a different guy entirely, you know? I think that Licorice Pizza was just fun enough while i was watching it but i'm really not going to think about it very much going forward in the future at all sure fair Tanner? enough Tanner, yes what film are we watching next week tell us well, please speaking I'm of mid and forgettable uh we have no i'm just joking i'm just joking of course we have a movie that we've already reviewed as a quadruple here on blb we are doing denis villeneuve's dune Ooh. next as our penultimate uh, uh, entry into the 2022 Best Picture nominees side quest, Dune. That's right. We are going to visit Denis Villeneuve's Dune. Abram, you look 
positively chuffed about this. The, my my, I went on Letterboxd for the first time in like 19 years to actually update a list, which was to put Dune at my my sixth favorite spot, my sixth favorite film of all time. Mm. I'll be I'll be doing my fourth viewing of Dune for this recording of Quest. I've got wow. it on 4K Blu-ray now. I'm gonna have my dad's surround sound in my home basement shaking my ass as we look out over the dunes. Can you film it? I can't <laughs> the drums sound like man yeah oh yeah oh yeah it is if you want to if you want to get a sneak peek at what our dune thoughts are or refresh yourself on what we think about dune before we revisit it in a best picture mm-hmm. con- context go check out the back lot banter episode from way back when the film came out got us talking about it and we could share our you you can get a hint of our thoughts but will they remain the same i don't know will i think the same of this film later watching it at a different time who's Mm -hmm. to say i think that's kind of the beauty of what will the desert power be what will the desert oh dude desert power yes desert power we're gonna talk about that and all kinds of other frank herbertian topics on the next episode of the quest for the bestest Thank you guys for joining me on this one. Talking about licorice pizza. PTA, next time, maybe make a film with... <laughs> I'm uh, running out of speed. I don't know. I, you know how to write a film better than don't I do. Ju- don't try and give PTA advice. PTA. Thanks for watching, everyone. We'll see you next time. Peace. <laughs>